You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, a Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. This episode's brought to you by Built Bar, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Rule 5 draft because that is going to be interesting for the Marlins tomorrow. They have some players that could potentially be selected. I'll talk about those guys and whether I think a team will take a chance on one of those players because keep in mind, not only is it do I want to pay $100,000 for this player because that's the price, also it's will this guy be able to slot right into my major league team? Otherwise, you have to return them for half of the value. So you basically just throw away $50,000. So teams are only going to make that pick if they're very sure that there's a good chance that they will at least get a shot at the major league level. Like Sterling Sharp, for example, the Marlins thought he could help them. I thought that he could help the Marlins at the major league level. He just struggled in a Marlins uniform and ultimately it didn't work out, but he got every opportunity because there was a need for somebody like him. He just he just struggled and did not rise to the occasion. So first I'll talk about some of the targets that I think the Marlins should have. And I've talked about it a little bit in the past, but I want to specify because now with the Marlins picking up Zach Thompson, which I talked about in the last episode, as an interesting potential bullpen piece as a left-hander, there are some interesting Southpaw relievers that would be very useful to the Marlins. The question is just, will they be available? Because the Marlins have a late pick in this Rule 5 draft process. They pick 17th. I will say that you have to have a roster spot open to make a selection. So there are two teams that have no roster spots open. That's the Tigers and the Diamondbacks. So maybe they pick 15th technically, unless both those teams make a move in the next 24 hours. However, that's still pretty late. And a lot of the candidates that I like will probably not be there because there's some no brainers for me that should be selected. No doubt for the Marlins if they were available. Lake Backer for the Padres would be a no-brainer. He's probably the most coveted player in this Rule 5 draft. I think he might go top overall. It's either going to be him or Paul Campbell. Paul Campbell with the Rays, another player that I would be shocked if he fell to the Marlins at 15 in this Rule 5 draft. So more likely scenarios where I think this would be a great target for the Marlins. I still don't know if he will be there. I don't think he will, to be honest, because his numbers were pretty darn solid in the AA level for the Phillies. But David Parkinson, Southpaw for the Phillies, had a great 2019 in AA as a starter, mind you. He went 10 9 with a 4.0 ADRA, 119 innings, 118 Ks. I have no idea why the Phillies did not add this guy to their roster. I, I just don't get it. The Phillies have been extremely strange lately uh, coming out, or at least not coming out, but leaked that they might be looking to deal Zach Wheeler. And then all of a sudden their GM comes out and says, or it was their owner, I'm not sure, comes out and says, I wouldn't trade Zach Wheeler for Babe Ruth. Uh, That was one of the weirdest trade refutes I've ever seen in my life. Uh, That was strange. They're not going to pay Real Muto. That's also good news because JT Real Muto looks like he's not going to stay in the NL East. That is a huge break for the Marlins as the Mets are closing in on James McCann. It seems like they're about to make a deal with him one one second, and then two seconds later, they're not, and that's just the nature of 
baseball reporting and the offseason in MLB. So Parkinson, very solid. He was successful as a starter. I think a swingman role is very likely for him. But if he does go to the bullpen, he could be even better. He has two solid secondary pitches with a changeup and a curveball on top of a pretty decent fastball. He could be a middle reliever type spot starter. I like him. I like Parkinson and I would 100% take a chance on him. I've seen some people ask about Riley Pint of the Rockies and you might remember Pint because he was the fourth overall pick in 2016, but he would make no sense because as I said earlier, he has to be on the Marlins major league roster pretty soon, pretty quickly. I think it's within 90 days. So it wouldn't really make any sense because Pint legitimately cannot throw the ball over the plate or in the vicinity of the plate at the lower levels of the minor leagues. He had, I saw this stat on MLB.com, 55 walks, hit batsmen, and wild pitches in 17 and two-thirds innings. That is just one of the worst figures I've ever seen. He has big issues with his mechanics, and I just don't see how you could take that guy in the Rule 5 draft. I don't think anybody will be selecting him. So there's really not that many options that I'm very bullish on outside of just maybe Parkinson if he's available there. Obviously, I'd be thrilled with Paul Campbell, but it'll be a question as to just whether how many teams want to make a selection in this draft because that's really what it's going to be all about. As for some of the players that the Marlins may lose, I don't know if they'll lose anybody, but they could potentially lose Tommy Eveld. As I'm looking at higher level guys that would be candidates to plug into a major league team relatively soon, Eveld has really struggled at times, really when he gets his chance at the higher levels recently. So I'm not sure a team will use a pick on him. There is one player I'm relatively concerned about, and it's Josh Roberson. Though Roberson has not pitched at very high levels yet, you can make the case that with all of the pitchers making crazy jumps this past year from A-ball to the majors, and some had some success, Roberson would be one of those players I would try it with. He has great command. He has good stuff. And from what I've heard from some minor leaguers that faced him, they were like, who is this guy? He is way too good to be this anonymous and this low of a level right now. Why is he not higher up? And that's what's interesting about Roberson is he kind of came out of nowhere. And I think the Marlins would be pretty upset if they lost him. They just couldn't protect him. They didn't have the roster spot to do it. They're going to hope that teams just don't want to take somebody in the lower level minor leagues. But I would think that teams do their homework and take a shot on Roberson. I 100% would. I'm really high on him and hopefully the Marlins don't lose him. As for some offensive players, Joe Dunnans has been spectacular uh, so far in playing in the winter league, but I just don't think a team will take him because he just hasn't even hit at really any level in the minor leagues. I don't really see him being able to just magically after a very good winter, just be able to make it work at the major league level. Brian Miller is a potential loss just because he has hit at least decently at some higher levels. He's got the speed. He plays good defense. He's got good bat to ball skills. He could be a fourth outfielder for somebody if they want to take a chance, but I I just don't know if that would be the top of some teams' lists when you got Buddy Reed and some other interesting prospects that have some more tools than Brian Miller. It's just, I think about those drafts and taking Brian Miller in the second round, and I'm just glad that different people are in charge of the drafts. Nothing against Brian Miller, but just look at the value the Marlins have gotten in the last few years in those early rounds compared to what they used to do in the early rounds in the past. It's just quite crazy. Even outside of the first round, you can get a lot of value in the second and third rounds. The Marlins did not used to do that. Uh, Justin Twine, 
another one that is just yeah. Anyways, I will have plenty to recap on the Rule 5 draft. Hopefully the Marlins are able to pick up somebody interesting. Also, some other things to talk about because it was an interesting day in itself. The Marlins affiliates announced the only surprise was Beloit, Wisconsin as the high A option. I thought it was going to be Asheville. I think many of us thought it was going to be Asheville. It was Baseball Digest that initially reported that. So I'm going to give my thoughts on that real quickly and also going to talk a little bit about the no DH now that it is kind of official. It's Rob Manfred official, if that's what you want to call it, which means it's just a gray area and non-committal statements. So we're going to assume that there's no DH because that's what Rob Manfred told everybody to do after the non-tender deadline, which is just the most inept and ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So I'll talk a little bit about how that factors in now with the Marlins getting Jesus Aguilar back, which I'm still happy about, don't get me wrong, but it does make things quite interesting with no DH. So I will talk about that as well right after the break. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has 18 delicious flavors, as you already know. And if you haven't tried it yet, they've got every dessert that you can imagine type of flavor. They've got caramel. They've got mint chocolate brownie. They've got lemon almond cheesecake. You name it, there is a delicious flavor, and they are low in sugar, low in calories, low in fat, high in protein, and best of all, if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. So this shuffling of the Marlins Minor League Affiliate. Triple A is now Jacksonville. I love that because Jacksonville was always a big draw. If you remember when the Marlins were really, really bad a few years ago and they were not getting any fans in the stadium and the Marlins triple A team was, or double A team, excuse me, now triple A team, the Jumbo Shrimp were outdrawing the Marlins at times. And that was like one of those things that would get, keep getting brought back up kind of like the Marlins traded two MVPs and some for some reason somebody says it like once a month and they think it's this like super original thought like wow the Marlins traded away all these good players I can't how did this happen and they think that nobody else has said that but it's literally a horse that's been beaten for the last two years it was the same thing as that somebody would bring it up like every week oh my gosh the Marlins drew less than their AAA team. Yeah, it's pretty disgraceful that that did happen, but also a testament to how much it's popping in Jacksonville. So I'm glad that it's a AAA affiliate now. I don't know what that means with this new rule, if they get more funding, probably not, actually definitely not, but it does at least make it more interesting where you'll have some former big leaguers making their way there for rehab assignments since it's close to home. And it's probably the closest besides low A Jupiter. Pensacola is basically... In Florida's so weird. It goes like all the way up and then all the way across. I just went to Pensacola and I couldn't believe how long it took me to get there. And I couldn't believe I was still in Florida. I was basically closer to Austin, Texas than I was to Miami. But that's just the crazy thing about Florida. So it's probably going to be the closest legitimate rehab spot unless the Marlins are okay with just kind of throwing guys into low A games in Jupiter, which I highly doubt. I would expect those rehab games to be done in AAA. So kind of cool to have Jacksonville now moved up to a AAA team. You know damn well they're not going to Beloit, Wisconsin for their rehab. And I will say this, uh, players will definitely be very, very excited to move on to AA, and they'll be working quite hard to get out of Beloit, Wisconsin 
for obvious reasons. Nothing against my Scanies, but I just do not see why anybody would rather be in Beloit, Wisconsin than after getting teased by Asheville, North Carolina, which is beautiful, and also just the other options being Pensacola, an awesome beach town, Jacksonville, a cool city, Jupiter, also rocks and close to everything in South Florida, and then you got Beloit, Wisconsin. It just seems like the ugly stepsister, but it's a brand new stadium. The stadium's going to be great. And I think that's ultimately what weighed into it for the Marlins. It was, okay, we're going to have great facilities. We're going to be able to have full gym, all of the stuff that we want to be able to develop our players properly and have all the resources that we need. So that will definitely be helpful. Um, I think the Marlins definitely thought this one out for a while before making the decision. I still think the whole process is a little wild. I don't know if the Marlins were kind of forced into Beloit or if they really wanted to make that decision because of the new stadium coming in. But at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal because players aren't going to be going from high eights in the majors anymore. That was more of a COVID thing. And I don't think we'll be seeing that happen too frequently anymore. So you're not going to be rushing a guy from high A to the majors anyways. And like I said, you got Pensacola and Jacksonville in the same state, even though it's still kind of far away. It's relatively close within a thousand something miles from the Marlins Stadium and you can get a quick flight and be there pretty quickly. And I like that they're in cool towns. They are both really cool cities for minor league baseball that draw really well. The Blue Wahoos, I've heard from players that have played there. They say it's a really cool environment. It's a cool spot to catch a game. And the Jumbo Shrimp, again, they draw crazy, crazy crowds and it's only going to get better with now being a AAA affiliate and maybe some more recognizable names. So excited for that as well. Before I wrap up, a couple quick thoughts on the no DH. Of course, you know how I feel about that because I just think it's ridiculous at this point. I just don't want to see somebody in the lineup that hits at a high school level. Uh, it's just a free out. And I think, yeah, you could be a baseball purist and say, you know, it takes away from the strategy and all that stuff. And I get it. But after this past season, you got a chance to see how different it is, how different the American League baseball version is from the National League, right? The Marlins had a DH this year, and it was so different. Why in the world would you have two leagues within the larger Major League Baseball and have them have different rules? Like, could you imagine in the NBA if there was a further three-point line in the Western Conference and then the Eastern Conference, three-point line was like college distance, or the shot clock is 30 seconds in the Western Conference and 24 in the Eastern Conference. Like that's a little bit extreme of an example, but it's not that different. Like you're totally changing the rules for one league over the other. And some people might say, oh, it's one of the cool quirks I like about baseball. I kind of get that too, but Enough with the quirks. Like, it's just stupid at this point to have those two different rules. And when I had to explain it to somebody the other day, because they were asking me about it, I was like, wow, this sounds so dumb as I explain it. And it just really solidified where I stand on it. And for the Marlins, from just a baseball standpoint, now bringing back Aguilar, tip of the cap again to the Marlins for paying him $4 million without knowing what the future held. I'm sure they were assuming that there probably wouldn't be a designated hitter in the National League. Also, you look at the deal that Carlos Santana just got with the Royals, way more money than Aguilar. I would take Aguilar, and I think Eli Sussman pointed this out, I would take Aguilar at his price over what Carlos Santana is getting with the Royals every day of the week. It was a really good point by Eli there, and really makes it much more understandable why the Marlins were willing to pick up that option 
despite or tendering him a contract despite not knowing what the future held. How does it work, I think, with the roster? It's probably going to mean that the Marlins aren't going to get another bat. But knowing the way things go for me sometimes, I just say that. And now tomorrow in the morning, the Marlins are going to go at Eddie Rosario or something. I'd be fine with that. You know I've given my thoughts as to whether the Marlins should go get him. I'm not going to be upset if I'm wrong about it. He's still an exciting player. I just don't know if it makes sense to invest any money right now into another bat. When you were bringing back Aguilar, you're probably going to have Cooper in right field. You're hoping Diaz plays first and maybe you're going to try to find ways to get Aguilar involved there. Maybe you continue to try to get reps in the outfield for Lewin Diaz, but he's so good defensively at first that it's just kind of frustrating to see him in the outfield struggling potentially rather than just playing really good first base. But if you really want to get Aguilar into the lineup, that might be something you have to do. It's going to be interesting to see how the Marlins navigate that because it kind of makes my head spin. Cooper was the Marlins' maybe most consistent hitter this past year. I think he needs to be in the lineup every day until proven otherwise. I think that you start the year with Aguilar. If he struggles a little bit, then you go to Diaz. You could have a platoon situation at first base, but I don't really think that you want to have Aguilar only going against left-handed pitching. That's going to be pretty sparse, and I don't think that you're paying him $4 million to be a bat off the bench. So this means either Lewin Diaz is not going to get as many at-bats or that Cooper is going to be shuffled around differently. I don't know. It's going to be very fascinating to see how the Marlins handle this. Do they just decide to wait and see how Lewin is doing? And if Lewin is mashing, then you look for a trade partner for Aguilar. That could be a very possible outcome as well. I think it's relatively clear that Aguilar is a bargain if he's hitting well early in the season. That's why I think that you probably start with Aguilar if he's hitting well and you're liking what you're seeing from Diaz and AAA or in some spot starts in the majors, then you can ship him out. Because again, if Carlos Santana just got the contract that he got, there's going to be some takers for Jesus Aguilar on a one-year $4.3 million deal. So I think that's part of the reason why the Marlins were willing to do it. And it could end up being another opportunity for the Marlins to pick up a decent prospect or two. Nothing crazy, but just another good filler prospect or maybe get a bullpen arm. End of the day, it's a pretty well-priced asset and the Marlins are better off with him than without him. So I'm glad they kept him. Definitely some interesting decisions to make, and it'll be cool to see. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's going to be a fun day tomorrow with the Rule 5 draft, with more just things happening in the quote-unquote winter meetings. I'm sure some things will start to unfold. I'm starting to feel the stove heat up ever so slightly. I think it will start to later in the week and into the weekend. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.